Welcome to Pentecost Sunday. It is so good to have you here today. Happy birthday, church, as Pastor Barry said earlier. We're so excited to be here celebrating the birth of the church when the Holy Spirit was released and, uh, and, and empowered the believers who had been 120 people gathered together in prayer, uh, you know, calling upon God, but literally collected back as timid, uh, fearful people until the Holy Spirit came upon them and they burst forth from the upper room. Peter preached his first sermon and 3,000 people got saved on the first day. Amen. Hallelujah. And so we're so glad today to be gathered on uh, Pentecost Sunday. And so today, continuing in our uh, series on honor, I want to talk about how to best honor Holy Spirit. You know, oftentimes the Holy Spirit is treated like a force, like something from Star Wars, you know, use the force, Luke, use the force. And Holy Spirit is not a force. Holy Spirit is not a power. Holy Spirit gives power. Holy Spirit endues with power. But Holy Spirit is not a power. Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Godhead. You have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is a person in the Godhead. And some people even start to get a little twitchy when I use personal pronouns in describing a Holy Spirit. Or when I drop the article, the word the, and instead of saying the Holy Spirit, I say Holy Spirit. We don't always walk around saying the Jesus Christ, but we say Jesus Christ. He is Holy Spirit. Not that it's wrong to say the Holy Spirit, just like we can say the Christ, but he is Holy Spirit, not just the Holy Spirit. And he is the person in the Godhead. And in that way, he, he can be honored, uh, shown uh, respect, uh, and can be called upon just as the Father or the Son. And so I want to begin today, before I get too deep into my message about honor, by just talking about the nature of Holy Spirit. As I mentioned, uh, you know, Holy Spirit's not a force. It's a third person in the Trinity. And since Holy Spirit is a person of the Trinity, the Bible ascribes personal traits to Holy Spirit. Personal traits. Did you know the Bible says in John 16, 8, that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin? In John 14, verses 16 to 17, it says that Holy Spirit permanently indwells us. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. John 14 says Holy Spirit teaches us. John 16 says the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. Uh, John 14 says Holy Spirit brings things back to our memory. He reminds us. Galatians chapter 5 tells us that the Holy Spirit causes us to bear fruit. And uh, John 16 tells us the Holy Spirit comforts us. In fact, Jesus said one of the other titles for Holy Spirit was that he was the comforter, the one who was going to come and was going to bring us peace and was going to assuage our fears and empower us as believers. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that the Holy Spirit fills us. And Acts chapter 1, which Barry read earlier this morning, tells us that the Holy Spirit empowers us so that we can do the work that God has called us to do. So because Holy Spirit's a person, then it's also possible for Holy Spirit to be dishonored, for Holy Spirit to be grieved and quenched and even blasphemed. You know, the scripture speaks of these qualities that can, and these things that can uh, happen when we live in a culture of dishonor in the body that can happen to Holy Spirit. Now, all three of those wounds uh, against the Holy Spirit are forms of dishonor. 
And what we don't want to do is to become a people who dishonor Holy Spirit. We, would, we know instinctively we don't want to dishonor the Father, we don't want to dishonor the Son, but we don't want to dishonor the Holy Spirit either. We are sealed with Christ by the Holy Spirit. We're guided by the Holy Spirit, indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and taught by the Holy Spirit. We're comforted by the Holy Spirit, and we're empowered by the Holy Spirit so that we can reach this world with the love of God, and we can build his family, and we can build his family together as one. So, get this this morning. Since the Holy Spirit is the primary person of the Godhead whose ministry is to unite us together, one of the principal ways that we grieve the Holy Spirit or quench the Holy Spirit is when we allow division and offense to indwell or to, in the body of Christ and to drive us apart. And, and that's what I want to kind of talk about today is, is I want to talk about how we uh, dishonor Holy Spirit when we allow offense to build in the body of Christ. When we allow offense to cause division in the body of Christ. And there are two things that I want to talk about today with respect to that spirit of offense. And I want us to take a pledge today at the end of the service. I want us to pledge to uh, refuse to offend and refuse uh, to be offended. I want us to be people who do not offend and people who become unoffendable. That is the desire of my heart this morning, and we're going to get into that today. Our text today is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 to 32. Ephesians chapter 4, 29 to 32. And as you're looking that up, I want to just take a moment to pause and, and thanks the uh, people. We had a, a good initial response last week when we talked about finishing things up here in the sanctuary, and we talked about the, the great new lighting that none of us are standing up here talking and we're all purple anymore or pink anymore and all that kind of stuff, and we're so grateful for that. Uh, but we, you know, we've got carpet down up here that when you guys get back into the house and you want to come forward and you want to pray, right now you're, you're falling on your face before the Lord on carpet that's been down here for 20-plus uh, years. And uh, and needs it's been flooded. At one point, the main water line broke, and the whole thing was flooded. It took us a week to dry it out. It's had gummy bears stepped on it from a youth concert that was here one night, and the band thought it would be a great idea to throw gummy bears out to the crowd, which they couldn't see in the dark, and they got trampled all into the floor. Uh, you know, it's it has had its its abuses, that's for sure. And and we want to replace it all, and so we uh, we needed about uh, an additional uh, ten thousand dollars to do that. Had a, a good response last week, but, uh, you know, we just want to remind you again that, and I think, Gord, you could put that screen up there. There are different ways that you can help us to be able to do that, and you might be saying, well, I've never even been to your church. Well, when you come, we'd like you to come and see uh, our, our new carpet up here as well. We'd like to have the whole thing done, and uh, eventually, one day, we'll also raise the money to do the flooring in the sanctuary, which I think will be about the last thing we have yet to do, but um, we like to pay for things as we do them, so if you could help us out with that, uh, if you could just... Uh, you know, write out a check today or send in the money. That would be fantastic. We would love to hear from you, and we would love to get this completed and be finished this renovation. Amen. Well, our text today, as I said, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Verse 29. Listen to what this text says regarding the Holy Spirit. You know, when I saw this this week, it just blew my mind. But listen to what it says. In verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. 
And now that verse that we hear all the time, verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. I don't know how we've missed this before. I've quoted the verse about not grieving the Holy Spirit many times before, but not really, I guess I've been guilty of taking it out of context, as many people do, but if you look at it in context, we grieve the Holy Spirit when we allow corrupt words to proceed from our mouth instead of words which are good for edifying one another. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we fail to put away bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and, and malice and evil speaking. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we fail to adhere to his admonishment to be kind to one another, to be tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave us. Do you see that in order to stop grieving the Holy Spirit, we need to refuse to be an offense to one another in the body of Christ. That if you take that verse in context, it's all in context. It's placed right in the middle of a conversation about how to treat one another in the body of Christ. Do you see that today? You can't take that verse out of context and, and claim that grieving Holy Spirit has something to do with outside of the relational bonding of one another to each other in the body of Christ. It's so clear in the text. And in our honorless culture today, rampant uh, dishonorable speech is everywhere. And unfortunately, it creeps into the church as well. And I don't mean just an off-color joke told a bunch of, bunch of guys or out fishing or something or the odd profane slip of the tongue when you hit your thumb with a hammer or something like that. No, the most offensive speech to the Holy Spirit, if I'm reading it in context here this morning, is the stuff that tears the identity and character of another brother or sister in the body of Christ. It is that speech that is filled with bitterness and wrath and anger and evil speaking toward another brother or sister when we place one of them as an object of our anger and of our wrath. We are grieving the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is grieved when we do not build one another up, but instead we become an offense to one another in the body of Christ. And so today, we need to take a pledge to not allow our, our tongue to be used as a weapon for the enemy to create offense in the body of Christ. And I'm going to encourage you at the end of this message today to, to pledge with me to, to do everything in your power daily to be uh, someone who is not offensive, to be uh, someone who does not create offense with your words and with your speech. So we grieve Holy Spirit when we speak offensively. But you know, there's another side to that. I believe that this may be even more important to, to stress today than reminding people to refuse to be offensive. Uh, we need to also refuse to be offendable. We don't want to offend, but we also, I think, need to learn to become Unoffendable. And now the reason I say this may be even more important for us to hear today is because I, I think that most believers in the back of their mind or in their heart know that we're not supposed to be offensive, right? Like we get that. We think, yeah, I really shouldn't be saying something or maybe I shouldn't post that up on Facebook or maybe I, I shouldn't 
tell that story or that bit of gospel on this person or on that person. We, we know, I think instinctively in the back of our mind, that it's not good to be an offense to others in the body of Christ. So it's easy for us to go, yep, pastor, you're right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to determine today to not be an offensive member of the body of Christ. But then when I talk about not being offended, well, that's different. Because I think that really, if we're honest, we almost feel like we're entitled to be offended. It's like, yes, we're not supposed to be offensive, but, you know, there are times, Pastor, when it's just downright justifiable for me to be offended. And uh, we feel completely justified as we sit back as an offended individual, and we even often use the Scripture to justify our offended posture. Now, this season, living in a global pandemic, uh, has been a stretch for, I think, just about everybody. And I want to I wanna give major kudos to parents who are home trying to, uh, you know, do uh, distant online education with their children. Oh, my goodness. I, 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 my life has been filled with Zoom calls since, uh, uh, you know, the pandemic began over a year ago. And I have to tell each and every one of you, I'm amazed that you are uh, able to carry on. You guys have done great. And I get major shout out to all the, the, the moms and dads for just standing in the gap for your kids and doing it. And for the school teachers, oh my goodness. Uh, I can't imagine having, say, for a classroom of a bunch of one-year-olds and you're trying to communicate with them over Zoom. Oh my word, I don't know how you do it. So I just want to give a shout out to all the teachers and the students and all of the, the people that are trying to do uh, the schooling this way. You guys have been troopers and we love you and we pray for you on a regular basis. And we want you to know that we bless you today. So it's been, a, it's been a stretch for you, and it's been a stretch, I think, for just about everybody. And, you know, what it's done is it has brought out a lot of offensive behavior in people as they struggle to adjust to the stresses that the season has brought. I mean, you know, all you got to do is just pick up Facebook and, or Twitter or something, and, and somebody's ranting about some aspect of the situation virtually every second. And so it's been very difficult. However, in the body, I've also noticed a greater propensity to become offended uh, in this season more than become offensive. I think most Christians are a little more guarded with their speech, but they still are, are, have developed, I think, a hypersensitivity in this season where even maybe they're not quite being the offensive ones out in the, in the, in the world today, they're easily offended by things that people say or people's opinions or people's posts. And so, and you know, back in January, um, I came across uh, a post by another pastor in our Ripple Network, and he pastors in Smithers, B.C. His name is Mark DeHoog, and Mark posted uh, this, and I want to read it to you this morning because he, 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 wrote, he posted a call to people to be unoffendable. And I was so impressed with the timeliness and the insightfulness of what he was saying in the midst of the season that we're in that I want to read it to you today. And I want you to listen to this. And please, again, hear, as Barry will tell you often, hear what the person's saying, not what they're not saying. Don't try to read between the lines. Actually listen to the lines and allow Holy Spirit to speak to you this morning as I read what Mark wrote to his congregation, his friends on Facebook. He said, friends... We're just a few weeks into 2021, but I want to share something from my heart. I think it's important to realize that at this point in history, 
there is a great temptation to live in our own echo chambers and to quickly build walls of offense against others in order to defend what we think. This especially happens when we are exposed to thinking that is not like our own. Why does the desire to be right seem to dominate our hearts rather than the desire to understand those that we share history with? Maybe it's time to begin to make camp in the camp of our enemies because in doing so, we might learn that our greatest enemy is surprisingly, surprisingly not those that we disagree with, but the enemy that is the enemy within. I find that for many, we become so intoxicated with using science as a trump card to prove our point, not acknowledging that science cannot make us more human or less human than we already are. If our application of our own enlightened intelligence is used to dehumanize anyone, then we're all, everybody say all, we're all losing out. That person who is the object of your frustration because they just don't get it, or they're full of that ism or that bias, listen to yourself carefully. Don't let yourself slip into dehumanizing them, into calling them an idiot or a numbskull or a sheep or a blind, naive believer or follower. In doing so, you've just propagated the very thing that you're fighting against. I don't have to agree with you or convince you to see things my way in order to recognize that you have immense value in this world and that your existence is more than serendipitous. He goes on, he says, there's a better way, a way where we can live better, a way to honor and to value our expressions, our shared humanity, our perspectives, and our need for each other, even though it's tough to understand another's view. There are many opinions, but opinions don't change our circumstance, let alone change the world. Opinions will not get us where we need to go, so we can all take a collective pause from inserting them into our conversations ad nauseum. Can we do that? Some things will change our circumstance uh, and even the world. Things like honor for one another, compassion, kindness, sacrifice. Those things will change the world. Where are the ones with willingness to be unoffendable, to seek to understand quick, to listen and be slow to speak, and to lay aside my right to be heard to uphold and honor one another? If you're one of these unoffendables, or if you even want to be, we need you to step into and step up and show up right now. We need you. It's your time. 2021 is a season that needs us all to be unoffendable. It's the posture I will do my best to walk out this year, but I can't do it alone. I'll need God's help and yours too. Is anyone in? That was Mark's post. And it was such an incredibly clear call. Such a clear call. Because right now, our world's becoming more and more divided and, and, and social media empowers that division. Algorithms are driving you apart faster and faster than you can possibly imagine as the media that's fed to you is one way or the other way. And it's not the Christ way. The Christ way is to honor people and, 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 and show a special honor to those that maybe we look at and think, eh, not the sharpest knife in the drawer, not the best looking person, not the most talented person. But you know what? 
God calls us to honor those that we look at. And maybe, we, maybe we've come to a conclusion that Holy Spirit has not. Paul says it this way. He says those that we would consider most ignoble, those we have to show the greatest honor to. We need to refuse to get caught up in the world's web of, of getting us to cut each other down and to tear each other down. There are strong opinions in the church about uh, the pandemic, just like there are outside the four walls of the church. As I've said many times here in the last number of uh, months, uh, we have every extreme in the body, just like I think like we have outside. We have you know, those who are extremely concerned and, and, and very worried about the virus and the pandemic and people's responses to it and, and get upset when people don't mask up or when they violate COVID protocols. Uh, and I understand that. But there's also people on the other side that are more concerned uh, with, with, you know, violations of, of civil liberty and, and, and their, their rights and things like that. And for them, that trumps the, the issues regarding the virus. And you know what? They're all, you're all God's children. And as pastors, we love you all. And maybe some of you, that's already offensive. Pastor, you shouldn't be loving that numbskull who's walking around, you know, with no mask on and, and, and flouting all of the rules or anything else. But I do love them. And I do sympathize with some of their feelings and their, their concerns. Pastor, you shouldn't love that person who's walking around, driving around in their own car with their mask on for crying out loud. They're not going to give it to themselves. What is their issue? You know, and, and, and you know what? I do love them. And I love them because they're, they, they're motivated by a compassion for other people as well. And so my calling as a pastor is to, is to not dehumanize anybody or to undermine anybody, but to try and love everybody and get us all to the table, six foot apart, where we uh, can actually talk about and dialogue about these things and actually ask the question, the best question, how can I walk out my life in this pandemic without being an offense or without being offended? That's what I think God is speaking to us today. You know, some time ago, I bought a book. Uh, I have a, a propensity to do this. I get offers. I have a book club that, you know, I've regularly a part of, and they send me offers on digital books for my Kindle. How many people have a digital reader like a Kobo or Kindle? You know, I love the thing. Uh, I, I'm, I, you know, I read probably somewhere in the neighborhood of a book or more a week. Uh, I just love to read, and that's, I read all kinds of stuff. I read fiction, I read, you know, theological books, political books, I read all kinds of stuff. And I just, I I love to read. I'd rather read than watch TV, unless it's the Leafs winning the Stanley Cup. Then the the Leafs are are in the forefront of my mind. But I love to read. And uh, one of the books that I bought, I, I don't even remember when I bought it, uh, but as I was looking through my library, I found it there in the last couple of weeks. I said, oh, that looks interesting. Uh, I'll read that. I probably came across my offer feed for 99 cents or a buck 99, and I just clicked and bought it because I liked the title. And the title was uh, Unoffendable, How Just One Change Can Make All of Life Better. And the author's name was Brant Hansen. And I saw that, and I said, oh, I'll get that. And then I forgot about it. And then in the last few weeks, as I've talked to more and more people who seem to be offended at this and offended at that, I said, man, oh, man. And then as the Holy Spirit began to show me how, you know, being offended is actually grieving the Holy Spirit because you're allowing bitterness and things to harbor in your heart. And Ephesians tells us not to do that. Then I thought this needs to be talked about today because we dishonor Holy Spirit when we walk around carrying offense. So I thought, I'm going to read this book. And the author's premise is simple. 
His message is simple. You need to choose to become unoffendable. You need to become unoffendable. That you are a person that cannot be offended. And I thought, man, that's a strong message. How's he going to back that one up? And so I began to read the book. And man, am I enjoying it. And uh, it's one of those books that's written in a way where you go, whew, man, good thing he's using some humor in there because this topic and this message is so strong that if you didn't, you know, sprinkle it with humor, uh, then you're going to offend people with your book. So uh, I think it's a really clever writing style that he's used, but it's, it's an extremely good message. I want to read some portions of the book to you today, and I want you to catch the message of what Brandt is saying uh, to the Church of Jesus Christ. He says, by the way, he said, I just looked up the definition of offended, and all the dictionaries say something about anger and resentment. So he said, when I'm writing about offended then here, when I'm writing about that, that's what I'm talking about. There's another definition about having your senses offended, uh, but that's not the definition we're dealing with in this book. He said, we just made some homemade barbecue sauce the other day, and we unanimously and immediately agreed right then and there that it was highly offensive. That happens. But that's not the kind of offense he's talking about in the book. It's the taking of offense. It's the very presumption that I'm somehow entitled to be angry with someone that I'm talking about. That's the kind of offense the book is about. And that kind of offense takes roots in our lives, folks, all too regularly. And often when it does, it's to justify ourselves, to rationalize our feelings. And we often go to the scripture to do that. And we often take from the scripture that it's encouraging us to carry an offense. Hansen writes, he says, I used to think it was incumbent upon a Christian to take offense. I now think we should be the most refreshingly unoffendable people on a planet that seems to spin on the axis of offense. So why is becoming unoffendable so important to a healthy believer? Well, he goes on and he adds, we should forfeit our right to be offended. That means forfeiting our right to hold on to anger. When we do this, we'll be making a sacrifice that's very pleasing to God. It strikes at our very pride. It forces us not only to think about humility, but to actually be humble. Forfeiting your right to anger makes us deny ourselves and makes us others-centered. When we start living that way, it changes everything. Actually, catch this, it's not even forfeiting a right because the right to anger doesn't exist. We're told to forgive, and that means that anger has to go, whether we decided our own anger is righteous or not. It has to go. And the problem is that, you know, I think too many people like being angry. I've met a lot of people like that. They seem to enjoy being angry. Their default posture, their default position, their default setting, if you will, seems to be anger. The problem with that is that the anger posture is a toxic posture. And it diminishes your joy and others' joy, and it nullifies your effectiveness for the kingdom of God. Because the Bible never says your, your, you know, your anger will cause people to come to God. Right? No, it says, it doesn't say your anger leads people to repentance. Nowhere in the scripture. It says your kindness leads people to repentance. You know, Hansen explains, he says, we 
won't often admit this, but we like being angry. We don't like what caused the anger to be sure. We just like thinking that we've got something on someone. So-and-so did something wrong, sometimes horribly wrong, and anger offers us a sense of moral superiority. Once we're in the disposition of anger, folks, we look at the scripture to excuse it. We look at the scripture to find a verse that justifies the anger that I'm feeling towards someone right now. And we even twist the scriptures around. Even well-meaning people take something out of context or, or you know, misinterpret what the scripture is actually saying. And here's an example, an incredible example for you. The Bible says, when you're angry, sin not, and do not let the sun go down on your wrath, right? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. But listen to it in the message. It says this, go ahead, be angry. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as a fuel for revenge. Did you catch that? I mean, I like Eugene Peterson as much as anybody. His, his translation of the message is usually pretty good. But you know what? You do well to be angry? That's not what it says in the original. It doesn't say you do well to be angry. It doesn't say that at all. How do you get that out of it? But that's the kind of rationalization I think we often take when it comes to the topic of anger. We, we, we experience that emotion so frequently, we look to the scripture to find some kind of justification for its existence in our, in our life. And the reason, you know, that, in, that translation of that verse is so heinous is because it's just a couple sentences later in the same chapter that Paul says, do not be angry or mad at anyone. He tells us to put all that stuff away from ourselves. So how in the world can you interpret to mean you do well to be angry? You don't do well to be angry. It's bad to be angry. So what did Paul mean then when he said, in your anger, sin not, and don't let the sun go down in your wrath? I think it's simple. He said, hey, he's, he put it in common vernacular for you. He's saying this, hey, everybody gets angry. It happens. It happens. But don't stay that way. Don't let it dwell. Get rid of it as soon as possible. And for goodness sakes, don't let the sun set and you're still angry. That's what that scripture means. He's just admitting that as human beings, it's, it, we, we, we can't help it. We get offended sometimes. We get angry sometimes. But it's not to become something that stays and is welcomed in our life. Instead, get rid of it. And certainly get rid of it before sundown. That's what Paul was trying to say. And that's what's consistent with the rest of the passage, as he tells us uh, further on, to get rid of these things in our life. Then I have people say, well, yeah, but God gets angry. Am I not justified in getting angry? It's true. God does get angry. But it's okay for God to get angry. God's allowed anger. He's allowed. He's allowed some other things, too, like vengeance vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. But nowhere does he tell you that you're allowed to have vengeance. Yes, God's allowed to be angry. Why? Because his anger, him being perfect, is completely justifiable. Ours, us being imperfect, is not. For the same reason he doesn't allow us to have a posture of vengeance, he doesn't allow us to have a posture of anger because we would use it for our purposes and our benefit and not for the kingdom. We can't be trusted with it. He can be. God, being who he is, is able to be angry and not be in sin 
able to exact vengeance and it not be wrong because he's God. I got news for you. You're not. You're not God. So there's no way you can justify your anger or your vengeance. See, whenever we call something righteous anger, what we really mean is that it's anger that's justifiable to me. And the problem is that it becomes the only judge in the situation is ourselves. And when Paul said in the scripture, you know, he said, don't judge one another. And then he said this phrase that I always kind of, I thought was weird. He said, I don't even judge myself. And I thought, oh, does that mean he lets himself off the hook? No, that's not what he meant at all. What he meant was, in the same way that you don't judge one another, you leave the judgment up to God, understand you too will be judged. That's what he's trying to get across. That, that I can't even make a defense for my own self because I too am going to be judged by God someday. That's what Paul was actually trying to communicate. He was saying, I can't mount a defense for myself. I'm going to have to stand before God someday as well. We all do. So I'm not going to be quick to judge anybody else because the Bible says, for in the way you judge, it shall be what? It shall be placed upon you or judged upon you. Paul understood Jesus' words there, and he said, I don't want any part of that. So I am not going to be somebody who sits in judgment of other people. We humans have become experts at casting ourselves as victims and rewriting narratives that make us the center of an injustice. But the reality is, is that the very thing that you're upset about, the very thing that you, somebody did to you that you can't forgive, God has already forgiven in you. You can think of the most, you know, horrible thing. And the reality is that God's already forgiven either that exact thing or something similar in your life. He's already forgiven you. Remarkably, and I want to close out with Hanson's words here on this and, and, and listen to what he says. He says, remarkably, in Jesus' teaching, there is no allowance for, okay, well, if somebody really is a jerk, then yeah, you need to be offended. He said, we're flat out told, forgive even especially the very stuff that's understandably maddening and legitimately offensive. Because that's the whole point. The thing that you think makes you your anger righteous is the very thing that you're called to forgive. The more you want to justify it as righteous anger, the more you're called to forgive it. Because grace, hear this this morning, isn't for the deserving. Forgiving, forgiving means surrendering your claim to resentment and letting go of anger, even to those who don't deserve it. That's grace. That is what Christ did for you and what you need to be committed to do for one another so that we do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Did you get that this morning? So if you're offended today, Maybe you're offended by my sermon. That's entirely possible. I knew as I was preparing this that it may be highly offensive to some people. I was willing to risk it. I'm not trying to be offensive this morning. I'm trying to help you understand that the power of offense is one of the most wicked weapons of the enemy to divide the body of Christ. And when the body of Christ allows itself to be divided, we grieve Holy Spirit. And the Bible specifically tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. 
If we cry out to God for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit, but then we hold offense against brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, the outpouring will never come because we've grieved Holy Spirit by allowing those divisions to exist in our heart and physically in the body between one camp and another. I want to ask you today, join me. Join me, please in living a life committed to being unoffenses, offensive, I should say, and unoffendable. Commit your life to being unoffensive and unoffendable. It's hard. You're going to have to work at it every day. You're going to have to get up every morning and say, oh, Jesus, oh, I need your help in order to be unoffensive today. And I need even more help to be unoffended today. Help me to be unoffensive and unoffendable. It is not going to be easy because our nature, our fallen nature, is so quick to be offensive and even quicker to pick up offense. And what I find remarkable is that the people who get offended the easiest are usually the ones that don't mind being offensive. You ever notice that? They don't have any problem being offensive, but man, do they get offended when you address that behavior or speak to this situation or that situation. How about this? How about we determine not to be offensive and not to be offended? Could we do that this morning? Because I think if we will, then the outpouring of Holy Spirit that we're looking for will be brought upon us. It won't just be a visitation. It will be something that rests upon us, a habitation of his presence that rests so heavily upon the church that the, the great commission is fulfilled in our generation. Hallelujah. But it won't happen if we sit in judgment over one another. If we sit with offenses in our heart. We have to cast all of that at the feet of Jesus. And we need to determine this morning to be counted among the unoffensive and the unoffendable. Maybe you're here this morning listening uh, online and you've been carrying an offense for years. I heard a preacher say once that, you know, getting offended and holding on to it, he said, is like, locking yourself in a prison cell and swallowing the key. You're the only one who can let you out of that prison. Most of the time, the person you're so deeply offended with doesn't even know what they've done to cause your offense. You need to give it up. Lay it down. Pray for that person. Maybe what they did was highly offensive. I don't know. But you have the power to forgive them. That's the very power of the gospel. And it doesn't matter how offensive it was. You have the power to forgive. I mean, look what was done to our Savior. And as he hung upon the cross, what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What did he mean by that? I mean, they knew they were crucifying somebody. They knew they were putting somebody to death. They knew that Jesus was considered to be the Son of God. What they didn't understand was that their behavior was something that was causing other people damage in their lives that was offensive or hurtful to God or to others. That's exactly the same with us. We're called, in other words, to forgive everyone because they simply don't know that what they've done has caused such an offense in you. You need to let it go. You need 
to let it go. Today, I call upon you to join me in this quest, this great quest to no longer grieve Holy Spirit, but to honor Holy Spirit, to honor Holy Spirit by not being offensive and not being offended. Would you join me today? I mean, I think if we will, if we will walk this out, that the Lord, his face will shine upon us and his glory will fill his people. And there will be such an outpouring of Holy Spirit because Holy Spirit will know, not just because we sing it, but because we live it, that he is welcome in our lives and in this place. Why? Because we have pledged to be unoffended and unoffendable. Unoffensive and unoffendable. Amen? Amen. Father, I just ask today for your church, wherever we are today, and, and I know even, even you know, the, the lockdowns and, and all of the stuff that's going on, it's, it's, brought, it's been such an offense to our sensibilities to not be allowed to get together and all the rest of it. We just cast all that upon Jesus today. We, Father, choose. We choose. We choose today not to be offended. We choose to become unoffendable. That doesn't mean we don't still engage with, with government, still don't talk to them about the, the, the orders, try to work things through, try to get things back to normal as soon as possible so that people can gather. We still work on those things, but we don't do it in the, in, with a spirit of offense. We do it with the Holy Spirit and a spirit of kindness. We do it as your servants. We do it as those who come and we get underneath those that Father have been trying to lead us through this and we bring with ourselves compassion, kindness, wisdom, and understanding. Father, help us to be those people. Father, help us to be the unoffensive and the unoffendable. We ask it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining with us at Desert Stream today. The Lord bless you. I pray that you have a great week and that your homework this week, asking Holy Spirit every day to help you not be uh, offensive or to be offended, that you work hard at that all week. And you see, at the end of the week, you know, if you've committed your life to that, I, I'm telling you, things are going to look better than they did at the beginning of the week. The Lord bless you. Have an amazing week in Him and have a, a, a good day today.